Well, the advantages of starting children at school at six years old. Guest is a neuroscience educator and parenting expert, Nathan Wallace, who says that while it goes against the norm in New Zealand and most countries around the world, the starting age for school is six and sometimes even seven. In fact, the Education Review Office has just looked into the issue and says starting in cohorts rather than on the child's fifth birthday eases the transition from early childhood centres to school for students, teachers and parents. Nathan Morena, welcome back to Nine to Noon. Morena, Catherine. Good to be here. Let's have a look at what the um, Education Review Office is talking about first before we get into Mm -hmm. some of the neuroscience around your argument. Starting in cohorts, instead of you just turning five and then all of a sudden you're off by yourself first day to a school with people you don't know, would this this work as um, whole years going through together, whether you're five, five and a half or nearly six? Is that what it would look like? Yeah, pretty much. You know, you would be, you'd have a couple of intakes per year, and then so yeah, a bunch of kids would go in together, like you say, instead of going in by themselves. And there's some obvious advantages to that. I mean, straight up the stress levels for the child. It's a big, scary thing often starting school, especially if you're the first-born child in your family, you haven't watched your older brother or sister do it. Then it's a really scary thing. So to be doing it with your other friends from kindergarten, I think would relieve a lot of stress for children. So I think just from a child-centered approach, it's worth doing just to make it easier for those kids. I remember starting school on my first day, and my uh, best mate was three months younger. I was so desperate that they were with me, but um, they couldn't be. So yeah, I'm all for it from the kids' point of view. And of course, it will mean that just by sheer statistical um, randomness, some children, as we said, will be five and a half or six you would get a yep. natural uh, uptick in in the age just by virtue of doing the cohort system. That's right. And I think the closer the kids are to that six, you know, the better the better off they are. I mean, we only started putting kids to school at five during the war because there was a childcare shortage. So we lowered the school starting age to five. But before that, we, you know, we'd been six in line with the rest of the world. Um, it was just after, I mean, most countries did that, to be fair. But after the war, they put it back to six. New Zealand, for some reason, stayed at five. So it's never really been based on research that we start kids at five. And our whole education system is based on Piaget, a French guy, and his stages of cognitive development. And he showed that kids are ready to do things like literacy and numeracy, what he called symbolic thinking, or the concrete operational stage, between the ages of seven and eight. So you started school at six. So basically you had one year to socialize, build relationships, build your confidence before the learning really kicked in at seven. But yeah, we've just, over the years, we've just made that earlier and earlier. So it's quite challenging for some kids to start doing cognitive learning, like reading and literacy and numeracy, when they're only five. Are we in a situation where it might not be war, but again, necessity means, um, necessity for family arrangements means five has become the norm. I mean, why has it stayed the norm? Well, I think it just gets into the culture. And people think that if you're, you know, there's an idea that every four-year-old in this country has said, oh, you'll be starting school soon. So it just gets an expectation, and pe- people think that people tend to have this erroneous cultural belief that the earlier you do things, the brainier you are. So they think the person who learns to read at five is going to be brainier than the person who doesn't learn to read till seven. Whereas in reality, after the age of eight, no one can tell for the rest of your life. So there is no real advantage. But I think it's just become a cultural norm. Let's just stay with the ERA for a moment, and then into the into the um, work you've been doing behind the argument to start older. Just seven percent of okay. schools have adopted the system since 2020. This is the cohort system. Uh, but the chief executive, deputy chief executive, I believe, of Eero expects more will follow suit with nine out of ten principals that have taken part recommending it. It allows for children to develop stronger friendships and give teachers more time to plan. 
So that is one yep. argument, the social argument. Um, and as mm-hmm. you say, being able to transition with people you're already friends with and already confident with if you're going to the same yep. school. What are the other reasons for waiting longer? Um, the, other, the reasons for waiting longer is just to do with brain development, really. Like what we can see in the research is if your child is one of the youngest in the cohort, um, then they're at a disadvantage to the child that's one of the eldest. Because kids don't tend to think, oh, well, you're actually six months older than me, so the reason you're clicking to this faster is because you're six months older. They started at the same time. They tend to compare each other. They just tend to think, oh, you're brighter than me. So if your child is six months older than the other five-year-olds, that is um, six months is quite a lot at five years. They're developmentally you know, quite a leap ahead. So you see that in the research. The kids who go through class, you can have two kids with the same IQ, but if one goes through the class as being um, one of the eldest and the other goes through the class, through the school system being one of the youngest in the class, the child who went through um, being the eldest is likely to have a higher IQ in the end and be earning more money just because it builds their confidence so they get better outcomes. They're 10% older if my maths is um, holding up in, in, in that example that you just gave. And that, that's the thing. When you're younger, a year is just so much longer than it is when yeah, you're that's, older. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I know that you are very big on the learning uh, development, educational benefits of play. Now, that should uh, yep. be go without saying. But the problem is if we transition to formal education too soon, that mm-hmm. play-focused education tends to recede. Tell us why it, it is so important to brain development. Yeah, it's so hugely important. I think most of your outcomes, you know, as an adult, are really more determined by what happens in this time than they are by, like, your IQ. What we talk about is your dispositions. Between sort of two and seven, um, the child's in their emotional brain, and that's where creativity comes from, but it's where these dispositions come from. Dispositions are things like how long you can focus your attention. Clearly, a child that can focus their attention for 30 minutes is going to be do better in the education system than a child who can only focus their attention for two minutes. Um, another disposition, persevering through failure. If you're, um, what we see is in formalized education, when there's a right-wrong answer, you know, literacy is right and wrong, this is a T, it can't be anything else, it has to be a T, that right-wrong answer, that creates a very black-and-white thinking. So um, basically, you're shortchanging the child's um, time to be creative. So, yeah, it's hard to put, put into a really quick soundbite, but the kid who is in a free play environment when they're six and is building, say, damming the river, they don't dam the river the very first time. They probably fail 19 times and then dam it on the 20th time. So what he's learned is a disposition persevering through failure. If we interrupt that and teach him to read at four, like I said before, no advantage, because after eight, no one can tell for the rest of his life, but we interrupt the development of that disposition and we move to right and wrong answers, literacy and numeracy. And that curbs and gives the child not much opportunity to develop those dispositions. So you get a child that wants to get it right the very first time or just give up rather than a disposition of persevering through failure. Now, this is getting into Carol Dweck's work, which is never tell your child they're brilliant. Right. Tell them how impressed you are with how hard they persevered at a, at a task. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Nathan, there's, a, there's a, um, an interview you and I did together eight years ago that still regularly reappears at the top of RNZ's um, right. audio replays. <laughs> yeah. it's, about, it's called What Children Need to Learn, and it's all about yeah. play, and it's all about that cr- letting their own creative ideas flow and not coming in over the top and saying, no, that's not why the stars are, are like this. The stars that's are like right. this because of the Big Bang however <laughs> many yeah, million yeah, years ago. Right. Like, yep. that, that process of creativity 
and imagining is another really important component of play. Um, and, and just explain a little bit more how these two things overlap again if you move too quickly yeah. out of a play-focused education. Yeah, because what you're referring to there is it's the complexity of thought that we want to develop under the age, not necessarily the right-wrong answer. So I'd say, I say to parents that um, the story of, I've got two kids in the back of the car, and I say, oh, I wonder why the sky is blue. And one of the five-year-olds says, that's because, um, you know, the, the light reflects off the water and, you know, gives us a scientific reason for why the sky is blue. Blue is the first visible colour in the light spectrum. So he says that. Because blue is the first visible colour in the light spectrum. Now, he's correct, but the other kid goes, no, I think the sky's blue because, and you can tell this kid's making it up as he goes, the answer, because I because this whole world's a dream I'm having. And in the dream on me, and before when I said, can we have a biscuit? And you said, no, you have to wait till after lunch. That made me feel blue. So now the sky is blue. Now, his answer is incorrect. It's not why the sky is blue. But it has way more complexity of thinking and way more cognition than the first child. So his brain is, is you know, really getting the better, the better exercise than the one who's just spouting off the right answer. He's you know, taking autonomy for his learning. He's um, taking charge of his learning. It's just way more complex cognition in that second answer. And he's asking open questions, I think, I wonder. And this gets to the heart of uh, the creativity that feeds into science research, medical research, uh, technological research. Instead of having a closed mindset that this is the way things are, it's about having the, hang on a minute, is it? Ironically, that reference to life as a dream I'm having is very close to to this... um, psychological theory that actually we're all hallucinating pretty much we're all, we're all inventing the <laughs> yeah. world and then fitting what's happening into our hallucination so you're five yeah, years well pretty much yeah 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 that's pretty much how it seems from a brain point of view gotta say Catherine. Yeah. we are all hallucinating yeah, yeah. so mm. what is ideal then around that four and five year age group because not only do we start school at five very often but we're often yeah. quite early into um early childhood learning as well and is some of that probably overstructured educationally yeah absolutely i mean the research is very clear on this that yeah there is no right amount that the teacher should or the parent should take charge of the kids learning under seven it's very clear that um the right amount is zero you know the so when teachers at primary school go oh we're going to do um play therapy you know play as well um play-based learning as well but we'll do that in the afternoon but in the morning we're doing the curriculum you don't get the benefits of play-based because the child is then works out all the important stuff is in the morning. You're taking, you know, you can't take over in the morning, take charge, tell them what they're supposed to learn, and then in the afternoon say, now take charge of your, take your learning, you know, take charge of it back again, because they don't. Um, so you've really got to be immersed in it the whole time. So there is no right amount. Um, yeah. People and worry that, a lot about language deficits. Uh, and, and actually just some very basic coping deficits um, with children yep. starting at school. So, yeah. again, is it counterintuitive that waiting longer perhaps um, might assist, or is there something else going on with that at the moment, perhaps an over-reliance on, or everyone being too busy, or an over-reliance on digital um, uh, yeah. play? What, what, what's happening there, and how does it fit into the argument to wait a bit longer? Yeah, I think at the crux of what's happening is our schools and our curriculum in New Zealand isn't really following through on that play-based. There is quite a lot of assessment that looks to the kids' development of literacy and numeracy under seven. So the teacher is probably well aware of the research I'm talking about. They're all trained under Piaget and stuff, but the requirements from the ministry say that you've got to do that. So many parents are faced with the dilemma of, do I do what I know is best for the child and best with what all the international research says, 
or should I get my kid ready for the school assessments that he's going to get when he's between five and six? And many of them panic about failing those assessments. No matter how many times I say it doesn't matter after the age of eight, no one can jail for the rest of your life, um, they still panic about the, the idea that their child's behind. So that's why there starts to be pressure at early childhood centres to start getting them ready for school. But so much of that is just because parents don't understand that it's not the sooner the better. And it doesn't, you know. Um, things happen much slower and don't need to be as rushed as parents think they do. You know, human development is not a race. What would you like to see, though, with respect to language development and capability by a certain age slash stage? Like, what yep. is okay and what is not? Yeah, I mean, we've actually got detailed, you know, complicated research about that. One I get asked all the time is when the kid goes one, two, three, four. When should we, you know, be worried about the three instead of the three? And that's actually seven years old, like way, way later than people think. Um, yeah, there's, there are key stages of development, but like I say, they're later than what people think. What I'd like to see is that, yes, absolutely, if there's a developmental delay, if your child's five and doesn't know what a letter is and, you know, doesn't know even the first basic signs of, of literacy, that's a problem because you don't need instruction. That happens in their natural environment. But early childhood teachers are trained to pick that up. You don't need to interrupt their play and take charge of their learning. You don't need to formally assess. You can simply watch them in their play and see if they're using symbolic thinking to see if they're using literacy, to see if they have theory of mind. I mean, these are all things that uh, early childhood teachers are, are trained in and well-conversed in. I think we just need to trust them to do the assessments with their learning stories and through the relationships um, and not worry about jumping in and having to catch those few that might be behind by starting formalised education early. Remind us of what theory of the mind is. Theory of the mind is understanding that just because you know something doesn't mean the or you theory of mind when you have it you know the other person has a different theory of mind than you do, so just because you know something they don't necessarily know it, so you can understand things from other people's perspective essentially. It's, a, it's a sort of a cornerstone of cognitive development. You mentioned after eight, no one can tell the difference between whether you were reading at four or reading at seven. What yep. is so significant about that age? Um, well, like I say, our whole education system is based on Piaget, and he said he didn't have brain scans, obviously. He just observed children in their play and saw that they start to think differently between the age of seven and eight. They start to use symbolic thinking. Now, literacy is basically a symbol. You know, a T is a symbol for the letter, you know, for the sound T. Um, so that symbolic thinking naturally comes into brain development between seven and eight. So he structured the education system around that. And that before that, we learn in a very different way. So it's just the way humans develop that we seem to really move into that frontal cortex or a different way of learning between the ages of seven and eight. And that seems to be universal right across the whole. It's not culturally bound. It seems to be like that right across all humans. Let's talk about why people don't wait then. And I think part of what we probably touched on earlier was simply that people have very busy lives um, and uh, often uh, whole households working these days. Legally, parents yep. can wait until a child starting before six. Very few yep. do that. Do you believe right. it is because of that, or are there other things at play? I think it's because, from being a parent in that situation myself, free childcare at five. You, you know, childcare costs a lot of money. You keep your child in from five to six. That's a significant expense, whereas they will be free to take them to school. So I think it's really just we might have the option of leaving the child there till they're six, but it's quite a financial you know, contribution from the parent when they've got free childcare at school the same amount of time. What about those kids? Where, really. Yeah. What about with kids though, where where um, there's a sense they're clearly ready for school? You know, they know their letters and numbers. They're basically writing, yep. almost reading. Mm -hmm. Is there a perception yep. that you are holding them back if you don't let them go? 
there is a perception that you're holding them back, but um, I'd be, and perhaps you are. I'm not saying that one size fits all for all children. Some children are ready at five. But it's just even those little firstborn girls that are doing everything early and at five can already write their name and already know the colours and already know the alphabet, that's great. But they're not set up to be at the head of the school system all the way through the rest of their lives. It's only like that disappears by eight too. And actually what those kids are set up for, unfortunately, is they've got a higher risk of anxiety and depression as teenagers. So even if I've got, I mean, I have had that situation with my own kids. Um, the youngest one especially wanted to do everything early. And, you know, I can't tell her. I go around the rest of the country telling people not to do that, honey. Stop it. Um, she was just, you know, wanted to do things early, wanted to do literacy and stuff early. I didn't stop that, but you, I didn't encourage it either. So even if I've got that girl that looks like they're ready for school, are there other creative things she could be doing instead? Yeah, I mean, I'd rather put her in a year of forest school than I would put her in the first year of school at the five, even if she's ready for with literacy and numeracy. That's not going to go away. Thank you, Nathan Wallace. Thanks, everyone, for the comments that you've sent in. No questions, but lots of feedback on your own views and experiences. Thank you for them.